0: Life is a difficult odyssey, the faithful are a statistical anomaly, the enemy wants to trick us hypnotically, that's why we need that biblical theology, Lord God deliver us from apostasy, the human heart is given to idolatry, the situation is critical, we gotta see the importance of biblical theology. What do I mean
1: by... Welcome to Christlike Thinking, a podcast dedicated to discussing how Christians are engaging culture and living out Romans 12 too, which tells us... Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I'm your host, Bruce Sabin, and on today's episode, I'm talking with Tim Mitchell, Director of Parker Street Ministries in Lakeland, Florida. The purpose of Parker Street Ministries is to make Christ known in the Parker Street neighborhood, and in doing so, to restore and revitalize the individuals, families, and community. Tim, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. To start with, can you just tell me a little bit about the Parker Street neighborhood?
0: The Parker Street neighborhood is kind of your typical low-income, high-rental area where at one point was, you know, a nice suburban white neighborhood. And over the years, as the ideas of going south and north became popular, people started leaving this area and renting it out, which then initially wasn't a problem, but as renting became the option for the poor, more and more poor people moved in, which even that wasn't an issue, but every time the poor congregate, typically the criminals congregate as well, so it became a place where you could hide out as a as a criminal and do what you want when you wanted with very little consequence. Most of the um, economic basis of our neighborhood now is um drugs and prostitution, so it's easy to access anything illegal here with kind of the covering of what is a, a neighborhood um, because there's still single-family homes here. Now, they're all rental properties, but um, a lot of the criminal activity happens indoors. It's not as wide open, and so, like I said, it's it's real – it's just easy to hide. And most of the people who live here, they don't have leases, leases with the landlord, so they're cash-paying folks who have very little understanding of their rights as renters so they're renting from landlords who really don't care about them, don't provide a quality space, but also they're people who are kind of always in turmoil and fear of losing their house, so they're not going to call the police, they're not going to call the code enforcement people, so it's kind of created this perfect storm of cover for anybody who's looking to do something illegal. And then in sprinkled throughout the whole neighborhood are families that are whole, healthy, that just can't afford to live anywhere else and so it's kind of a really strange mix of people
2: okay and how big is the parker street neighborhood
0: um i believe we have 800 addresses so it's a it's a small cluster with a lot of population in a small space
2: and what's the purpose or goal the mission of parker street ministries
0: um first and foremost is to display christ to this community um our hope is that our relationships with these people would bear us the credibility to, to share the gospel with this community. That plays out in a lot of different ways. You know, we as a as a group of people who've chosen to live in this neighborhood are, um, you know, trying to build relationships and out of those relationships discover the needs not that we perceive but that are true and our vision is to become a part of the community in such a way that through real relationship, we can live out the gospel before the people and in those relationships, discover their needs out of those needs that we've try to bring wholeness and health to the community. So we, we're really about restoration both to God, to their neighbors, and then out to Lakeland so that this, this place could be a, a light in the dark place rather than a dark place. Um, so that plays itself out in a lot of different ways, but our first kind of focus was to move in and just be a part of the community and not expect that we knew everything about what the community needed, but be here long enough that the community could come to us and say, hey, here are our needs. This is what we this is what we see are our assets, and this is how we want to see change. And so just trying to become, you know, just come alongside them rather than do what I was Experienced as a young church member of, you know, go in for a quick minute, tell people what's wrong with them, and then leave. But this was a be here long enough for the both of us to, you know, us and the community to discover what God would have for this place and then do whatever it took to bring that to fruition. So,
2: And how did you first get involved with Parker Street?
0: I was looking for something, some kind of mission to be a part of, um, and I was actually living in Lakeland. I had moved in with my sister, and I was trying to just kind of, I'm from Arkansas originally, but I was trying to find something, and was praying a lot and looking, and I was doing some stuff in Orlando and Tampa, and my aunt had told me about this group of people that were trying to bring health and wholeness to this neighborhood, and um, they were really passionate about relationally-based work, which was something I was really excited about. So I contacted the the executive director at the time, and he said, "We can't pay you, but we'd love to use you." So I said, "All right." So I um, started volunteering right after work every day, and got just kind of really quickly fell in love with the neighborhood. And um, shortly after um, volunteering, I decided that I was going to make this my full-time deal. So I moved in to the neighborhood and started raising support at the time because they didn't have salaries or or hope for salaries for the staff. It was all just raise your own money kind of deal. So I, I moved in with a, the with a vision of just, you know, trying to learn from this group of people that um, I had never, I would have never naturally been with, um, meaning this neighborhood. And uh, it, it was something I thought probably would be about a year's worth of work, and then I would move on to something else. Um, and then you know, I thought that was what I wanted to be a part of is something that was impacting the broken and the needy, but I didn't know that this was going to become my, you know, full-time vocation. But, you know, initially I just saw it as an opportunity to really learn both from really cool Christians as well as just a group of people that had just captured my heart. So it was a real real kind of, um, I don't know how you would say it, it's just, it just was kind of haphazard in a lot of ways. It wasn't, you know, tons and tons of divine direction from God. It was just I was praying. My aunt said, check it out. I did. They didn't seem like they were too scared for me to help out. And so I came in, you know, so it wasn't other times in my life I've had something where I was really clear that God wanted me to do it. This was more of a kind of everything fell into place. And then every time I would pray about doing something else, God would say no. So it was like he was stronger After I got in, as far as direction, then when I first came in, it was kind of a weird, weird journey for me. So, um, but God has definitely um, transformed me through this work here. It's definitely not been a, a labor that has taken from me, but it's been a labor that has transformed me.
2: So you've been there for most of Parker Street's history, correct?
0: That's correct. I moved in a year after the... Kind of the ministry was established. We, they, they started a year before me, kind of buying property, setting up 501c3 stuff, just trying to get the you know the nuts and bolts figured out, and then started looking for young college age folks to move into the neighborhood. So I was in the first wave of college students to move in, and just you know apart. Now I say college students, college age, I was not a college student. I came straight from high school to this work, but most of the folks that were here with us were attending college and instead of living on campus, we're living in the neighborhood.
2: Okay, so obviously the ministry's changed a lot since then, since it was in its infancy. Um how would you describe how it's changed?
0: it it was definitely a kind of a knight in shining armor type work in the beginning. You know, we came in with tremendous amount of ideas and plans and visions and most of it was really good stuff that we had learned from other people. And, you know, all that stuff was what we had planned to offer the neighborhood. We were going to, you know, make major changes. Everything was going to be great. And with really no, understanding of how much we were going to learn from the neighborhood or how much the individual families here were going to change our lives. And so now, we fast forward to today, this is a body of Christians and non-Christians who are living and seeking to see restoration to a community together um, through genuine relationship and not you know just me coming in with my plan and telling people how to do it um we it's a, it's a much more community based holistic approach what it's not you know it's not just Tim's ideas or one of my staff members ideas but we really are working alongside this neighborhood and and not to slam what happened in the early days cuz we didn't know any better but as we've grown we've realized just how amazing the people here who, unfortunately, when we first got here, we thought, well, they don't really have anything to offer. We're just going to help them. And now we realize, you know, they've got so much to offer, we'll never be able to pay them back for what they've done for us, you know, for who we've seen God to be through our relationships here. I mean, just like I say, this is the most transforming experience of my entire life, and God has used this group of people in this Parker Street neighborhood in my life in a way that completely surprised me. You know, initially I really thought we were coming here to help them, and God sent me here so that my relationship with him could come alive and be real.
2: So how did this group of young, probably middle-class college students build relationships in a neighborhood that, as you described, was largely poor crime-written?
0: it was really pretty pretty uh pretty bad <laughs> i mean just to be really honest with you we did not do it well um the kids would we we did a lot of kids programs so the kids like anybody will do will be around you if you're having fun you know so we had really shallow relationships with the kids because we were shallow and not very good relationships at all or you know pretty much no relationship with the parents um But we could pack out an event with kids because they wanted, they were bored and wanted to do something. The parents looked at us as, they're not going to do anything bad to our kids. We don't really want to know them closely, but we'll let our kids go to basically their free daycare. You know, so anytime we were doing something, the parents didn't have to be with their kids. So it was kind of a, you know, a using on both ways. We didn't realize we were using the kids. And the parents definitely, I think, knew they were using us, but we were, you know, it's just kind of this weird deal. So we initially thought, man, well, we're making great progress because anytime we did an after-school event or summertime event, we had tons of kids show up. Um, but it was just real shallow and no no depth and um, and so we we really probably didn't start making real headway until God sent us some really just amazing folks in the neighborhood who were really honest with us. We had about five different adults in the neighborhood who spoke into what we did in a way that totally transformed who we were. Um, Some of them were Christian, some of them were not, but they all had a heart, realized that we were really trying to do good stuff. We just didn't know what we were doing. And so they came in and said, look, you know, you guys have got to really pursue real relationship that means you're going to have to slow down you're going to have to do less you're going to have to do smaller numbers and you're going to have to really involve the parents as much as you can in whatever you're doing and so once again by God's grace we did listen which was a miracle because you know we're college students and we don't typically listen you know so it was it was just a a neat um, time to see God you know continue to transform all of us but it was hard in the beginning because you we we were doing a lot of work that, you know, you could come at any given day and there might be a hundred kids doing stuff with us and people from the outside would say, wow, that's great. But what was really happening was very little in eternal value. And so after these folks came in and said, look, you got to change this up, we started basically being, you know, unofficially mentored by these people in the neighborhood who, cared about what we were doing enough to be honest with us and so we'd interview with them and spend time with them and so that's what we started doing we started doing a lot of interviewing we were walking the streets with video cameras and with clipboards and just asking questions and went from telling everybody what we thought to just listening and so we spent a good period of our early days once we realized we weren't doing it right just interviewing and requesting honesty and trying to put together listening sessions where we could just hear from the community, and uh, by God's grace, people talked, and we got to learn. The uh, neighborhood was getting a voice, and we were finally listening, so it was cool.
2: So what have you learned about the, the culture or values or just life of people who live in poverty?
0: Well, it's profoundly interesting to me. When we, when we first got here, you know, as a I was a middle class white kid with very little experience to true poverty. Um, my first reaction when I saw people that didn't have a good house or didn't have basic needs or didn't you know i mean we had folks here with no running water and no electricity living in houses, you know all that kind of stuff that was my first reaction was we gotta fix that we gotta change that we gotta just you know quickly alter that. Um, And then I started getting to know people and started spending time with people. And I found in the midst of this, which was a very broken and impoverished place, I found these people who were ridiculously generous. Now, they didn't have a whole lot, but whatever they had was up for grabs. Everybody was willing to share. Everybody was willing to, you know, invest their own life into someone else because that's how they survived. They didn't get to count on, you know, their big paycheck or their good job. So they counted on each other. But I also saw this group of people, this young group of kids who had been kind of were being raised in this, you know, welfare system who had a belief that everything was owed to them. There was no responsibility to care for your neighbor. There was no responsibility to look at Anything as your, your responsibility that, you know, if I needed something, someone was supposed to take care of it. And so we had two kind of worlds where we were dealing with. We had these kids that were so entitled and then we had these amazingly generous older folks who didn't one day think anything was owed to them. And so while we would work to encourage and, and, and equip these older folks to do good work and be healthy. We had to work really hard to try to communicate the responsibility that the, the the kids were losing by the fact that they grew up in a world where food stamps and Medicaid and all these things were available to them. Welfare was all around them, that every bill that was ever paid at their house was a government subsidized, you know, situation. Um and so they would come to our programs and we would, you know, naturally think, well, they should be free and this should be, you know, everything would, you know, we just got to give everything away. And we started learning, we got to have these kids working. They got to do something, you know. So it was lots of times it was pick up trash and then you get a pass to go with us to the beach or, you know, whatever it was that we could try to do just to give them some kind of sense of you know, things actually cost. We did a lot of just talking to kids about how much it costs to fill up a tank of gas, how much it costs for them to have lunch with us, How you know, and just trying to open their eyes to this just doesn't fall out of the sky. But I was really broken by the number of people that were willing to continue to keep that system happening. You know, so while me and my friends and, and the cool Christians that were coming around us that were trying to really help communicate the responsibility of for individuals to care for themselves and others there was a whole host of other organizations and christians and churches that were doing just the handouts just the handouts and so we would say no we're not going to pay your bill because you're refusing to spend your money appropriately and they'd call me up and say so and so pay my bill you know and it would ne- you know you, you, you were, we had so much trouble breaking that cycle because there were so many systems in place to just cover people to just you know give them an out anytime so they started to begin to feel the weight of their poor decisions and then someone would bail them out and so that's that's kind of what we've seen here in this neighborhood is as I believe and this is my opinion I don't know that it's held by everyone but it's certainly held by me God really does use Some of these really broken situations to get a person to the place where they would be submissive to Him and they would, and then begin to see real health and growth. um, Those things are often offset and even shipwrecked by our foolish attempts at times to try to help people. Instead of pursuing God and saying, God, what do you want me to do? We see someone who looks like they're hungry, so we feed them. We see someone that You know, can't pay the rent, so we automatically pay it without really ever finding out what the heck is going on, you know, what's really the – what's the reason for this? And not that you wouldn't help someone, but that you would help some people in a a way that would bring complete wholeness, not just a temporary fix to a problem that then continues to happen. So that the the reality of our our situation here in this neighborhood is very similar in every other poor neighborhood I've ever visited is – We as a country have created a system that continues to keep our folks at the bottom because they're not being trained and not being equipped and not being encouraged to own their own responsibility in their life. Um, If you interview the majority of the kids that we deal with, they don't have anyone in their family that's not on some kind of welfare. So most of them, if you would interview them, especially the younger kids, what are you gonna do when you grow up? The girls say, "I'm gonna have babies and be a mom, with no husband in the picture, no idea that there should be a husband, and no idea that they should have a job. They're just gonna have husbands. I mean, they're just gonna have kids and be a mom and have someone else pay for their bills. And then the boys have no responsibility because they've never seen men really step in and and be fathers because they don't have fathers. So they're just gonna walk around and do what they want to do and be free to live how they want to live." And they also can be subsidized by this government for anything they need. You know, I get calls just about daily from people asking me to pay bills of every kind you can imagine. And um, every time I say no, that person will then call and within that same day get their bill paid. So it's just this continual process of people getting close to brokenness where possibly victory could come and they could start to see their real need is not necessarily their bills paid but their their um, whole heart and life changed and then as soon as that starts to get tough there's a bailout every time that our people really can just kind of stay in this really yucky space of constant dependence on something else other than their own responsibility as well as, you know, our true dependence on Christ.
2: So, uh, how did you eventually make the transition into bringing up spiritual issues since ultimately Parker Street is a Christ-focused ministry that is mm-hmm. the ultimate goal? How did how did you bring that about going from children's programming, beach trips, or paying bills to saying what we're really here for is the gospel?
0: Right. Um, it it mostly came through just being here. You know, we've been here 15 years, and our relationships started off fairly shallow because that's all we had. But people's lives started falling apart, and we were able to be there in the really tough times and to say, you know, a lot of it was let's just pray together. A lot of it was just real basic stuff in the beginning. But what happened was people started seeing that when trouble came, we as a team here at Parker Street went to God. And so we lived out going to God in front of our people. You know, our ministry was poor and very thin relationally and spiritually ourselves, and we were we were wrestling with brokenness of our neighborhood, and our neighborhood got to see us just crying out to God, us begging God to work, us begging God to show up. Our bills Our ministry was being paid for by the generosity of Christians that we begged God to show up and pay. And so we got, we got to kind of just live out in, in our own brokenness, this experience of God showing up. And, and so people started saying, wow, there is a difference with these people as opposed to us. You know, they would, they, they realized that, you know, myself and my staff had a relationship with God. And even if they didn't quite understand what that fully was, it was attractive enough that they wanted to talk to us about it. So literally, I would have people come to my front porch and just say, hey, I want to talk to you about God. So, you know, it didn't, it wasn't like my old experience in the Baptist church of going door to door and knocking on the doors and asking people, do you want to become a Christian? It was people coming to us saying, nothing else works, I need to talk to you about God. And so, initially, we, we had some real cool, experiences where people who had pretty good influence in the neighborhood came to Christ early and they became, you know, kind of our voices and our champions to the neighborhood to say, hey, this Christianity thing's real. And if you need to talk about it, go talk to the Parker Street people. And so people started having some spiritual success. And what I mean by that is, you know, they they experienced God and started talking about it. And that was the neat thing about this neighborhood is, like I said before, they are a generous neighborhood. And so anytime something good happens, they share it. And God became the, the newest good thing that was happening in their lives. And they started sharing it. And so we kind of became the unofficial, um, you know, access to God for a lot of people, you know, and they just started coming and asking us for help. And, and so, a lot of our new relationships were being built on a person saying, I don't know anything else, but I need to talk to you about God. And so that was really awesome because it we went from early on, we were doing a bunch of fun stuff just trying to get into their life. Now people were coming to us. It'd be The first day we meet them would be asking us about Jesus, and then we could build from there. So it kind of just completely turned upside down and so our relationships were those are the Christians. That's how they referred to us. Those are the people who know Jesus. And so it it really just changed everything for us. And so then we got to do everything else starting from the right direction. You know, So it was, here's God, and he does care about whether you eat. He does care about whether you have a nice house. He does care about whether or not your family's together. He does care about the fact that you have kids in jail. And so we got to just Walk alongside these folks who were discovering God, but in in the you know in that major transition was before it was just hoping that we could be around you long enough to sneak God in to starting the whole conversation, the whole relationship with God's where we're starting with, and so then we learned that every relationship we were going to start that way, whether well, you wanted to know God or not, we were going to tell you within five minutes of a conversation with us, you were going to hear that. Our primary focus is that you know Christ. Now, you don't have to know Christ for us to give you services. You don't have to be a Christian for you to, for us to care for you. But we want you to know our vision and our hope is that you would know Christ. So if that's something you're completely opposed to, you're probably not going to want to stay around us very much because that's where we're headed. And so it really just changed everything for us. And I think it actually made the neighborhood respect us even more because it was early on it was kind of a bait and switch you know it was like hey here's cool stuff and oh yeah jesus now was jesus is exactly what you need we'll offer you other things throughout this process but the main thing we want to make sure is is that you know Christ
2: so can you give me some examples of how coming to know Christ actually changed people's lives
0: one one example there's a guy we were working with we met him through the after school program his kids were coming to our after-school program, and he was a unique guy in in our neighborhood because he was the primary caregiver for his family. He was, I mean, he was a single dad with children, which he was the only one we knew at the time. So he, he stood out. He kind of, everybody in the neighborhood respected him because he was this guy who cared for his kids while most men didn't, and his wife, or not wife, but his the mother of his children was nowhere to be found. So, we we got to know him and found out that he was much like most non-Christians, just finding a way to fill all of his selfish desires. Um, he loved his kids passionately, but he was pretty much, you know, a you know narcissist, just did whatever he wanted whenever he wanted, and he had lots of time with women and, you know, was a moderate drug user and just, you know, just kind of, but at the same time, Cared a lot about his kids and felt like it was important for his kids to come to our after school program. So he had really no intention at all of Christ being the center of his life. He just knew that he could trust these Christians to not do anything bad with his kid, with his kids. So he let his kids come to. Him. So we did this thing called. The, it was a community dinner on the first Monday of every month. Um, we would get all the moms and dads, if there was dads, to help us serve a a community dinner. So the folks who came, their kids were in our after-school program, those parents, part of their community service hours to us was to help us serve this meal to the neighborhood. So it was a meal to the whole neighborhood served by moms and dads from the after-school program. So they, this guy showed up, once again, not intending to do anything except put his hours in and then get out of there and um, started kind of starting up some relationships with us and kind of surprised himself that he liked us, you know, Um, and we, we back and forth, back and forth, probably three years, two, three years of him sometimes showing interest in doing anything positive, and then lots of times just getting kind of hung up in all kinds of stupid stuff. Um, He ends up hooking up with this one lady that was also in our program, and um, they started living together, and it was not a good situation, and just really kind of bad all around, and he ends up getting her pregnant, and still we're just like kind of quasi in his life. He would come and, you know, ask us for prayer when something really bad happened, but he got arrested, went to jail. She stayed faithful to him after he got out of jail. They were still together. Um, and then he um, genuinely fell in love with her. She became someone he genuinely wanted to be with, and uh, but was ridiculously unfaithful to her. Um, couldn't figure out how to get past his desire to serve himself and, and provide whatever urge he had at a time so he was in he was in the process of losing that relationship after having you know one of the probably 10 affairs he had it was the last one and he came to us and said i don't know what to do i'm i i genuinely want to be with this lady and i know that i'm supposed to have god somewhere in this thing and i can't figure it out i need help and so he started coming to a a discipleship program that we had for for men and um that was the first time he really started moving towards God, um, began to just dive in wholeheartedly and, um, accepted Christ. And we saw a complete transformation. Uh, this guy went from, you know, anytime there was a girl available to have sex, he would to literally calling me from work saying, will you pray with me right now? I'm struggling with lust. And, uh, so we'd be praying on the phone, and then um, about a year after that whole situation, where he came to us and said, "I'm done," um he was he actually married this lady that he's with now, and um it's a tremendous, tremendous story of just a guy who had absolutely no desire to do anything but what he wanted to do to a guy who now is faithfully married to a woman he's leading his whole family. I mean they read scripture every morning together. They're they're just a great Christian family in this neighborhood. And honestly, you know, five years ago I would have said neither of them are ever gonna do anything except continue to mess their lives up. And um, you know, they're they're both followers of Christ, both passionate about trying to do more than just take from the world and um, you know, they're just generous thoughtful people who have truly bought into a complete submission to Christ and have found God just showing up in their life in all kinds of cool ways there there's some incredible encouragers to kind of the next generation of uh, folks who are considering a relationship with Christ because they've have been there they've you know they lived in this neighborhood they know the lifestyle that's here and so they're they can do so much more work than I can because they really understand it. You know, I've been here 15 years, but they've lived it their whole life. And uh, so it's he's he and his wife are just one tiny small example of of people who were on the fringe looking at Christ and saying that's nice for other people but not us to people who are, you know, some of the most evangelistic people I've ever met. Um, who love God and are pursuing him in a way that challenges me personally.
2: When a couple like that changes so dramatically, how do other people in the neighborhood react to that?
0: For Larry, that's the guy's name, he was initially some of the guys that he hung out with gave him the cold shoulder and treated him like he was a sellout and told him that, you know, he was trying to just be white and, um, Just, you know, a lot of stupid stuff like that. Um, His wife kind of had a similar experience, but not as strong. But they both lost friends. They both lost um, some of their kind of respect initially, but as they maintained and as they continued to grow, they actually built back, I think, even more respect and more authority than they had before. But it was kind of like a, a first phase. Once they came out and said, "Hey, we're Christians," a lot of their a lot of their friends immediately were like, "Hey, what's wrong with you guys?" But as they got to live it and be truthful in it and and real, even some of those folks that they've they lost initially, they've won back. Um, and like I said, I mean, they're they're <clears throat> they're the ones who are really bringing people to Christ these days. I mean, they're the ones that are. Wading in and having the cool conversations because all the people that that they know are looking at them saying there really is something different, and so even the people who initially would would have called them a sellout are saying there's absolutely something different about you, and I want to know what's going on. So it was a there was like I said a period of time where they had a loss of friendship and a loss of. <clears throat> credibility, but that over time has completely turned around.
2: Okay. Now, when Parker Street Ministries began, as you said, you kind of were figuring things out as you went, but now you're part of Desire Street Network, which allows you, I guess, to share information and wisdom.
0: Yeah. That is correct.
2: Tell me, what is Desire Street Network?
0: Well, Desire Street Ministries is it was similar to us, you know, same same focus, same idea. Um, but when Katrina happened and displaced them, their vision long-term was to become a kind of umbrella network that would help foster um, health and wholeness of ministries, uh, knowing that many ministries like ours don't last because they become islands unto themselves and they just don't have any support they don't have any encouragement they don't have any friends to bounce ideas off of and so they wanted to be an organization that would foster that type of thing happening Um, it was fast forwarded because of Katrina so it wasn't necessarily the plan to start as fast as they did working to try to unite folks so right now what they have is a it's called a strategic partnership, which is D- Desire Street, the umbrella organization says they interview, look at, and, and assess organizations to say they're st- sticking with the guiding principles of ministries that we do, which is you know, neighborhood based staff living in the neighborhood, um, very overtly Christian with, with folks committed to long-term work and if they fit into the category of that, then they um, consider them for partnership. Now, the reason they don't just do a blanket thing is because they're trying to be able to vouch for you. So, like, for me personally, we had credibility before Desire Street came to us, but a lot of ministries like ours are brand new, and to have a name as recognizable as Desire Street is very helpful on the fundraising side or... Also, just helpful in the sense that people will consider, you know if, 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 a, if a group like Desire Street just said you're valuable, then getting volunteers is a little bit easier, that whole thing. So just kind of bringing credibility. Uh, so we as Parker Street have kind of have a weird role because when we met with Desire Street and kind of joined up with them as far as this partnership goes. We were out basically as old as they are and as healthy as they are. So we kind of came in as a almost consultant and um, support to Desire Street doing this work. So we're pretty much the only organization like us that's a partnership in partnership with Desire Street. So I meet with Danny. Danny Warfel is the executive director there. I meet with him. I don't know, three to four times a year kind of strategically planning how are we going to care for these up-and-coming ministries, how do we not step on them, How do, you know. So I kind of have almost become like a consultant in that work. Um, but everyone else is typically younger with a more volatile situation that they want to come in and just try to help them be whole and healthy Um if you look at the stats on ministries like ours to be fifteen years old or more is almost a miracle um most organizations like ours last about five years and then fizzle out uh, it's just, work is so tremendously hard the um the executive directors very very rarely have a support network um and that's what desire street saw and said we want to make that we want to see that not happen we want to be able to have there be old men and old women doing this work. We want to see ministries stopping because they ran out of work to do, not stopping because they're overwhelmed by the work. And so their their vision is to just help make healthy, thriving ministries, but not to create them, but to support what is there already, you know, to come alongside and, and equip and and then just provide awesome opportunities for them to connect with other ministries like them. You know, that's probably the best part about the whole deal is now you've got these executive directors getting together once or twice a year for these strategic partner retreats where they get to just love on each other and pray for each other and encourage each other and tell each other stories and and share best practices and, you know, and you have someone that understands what it's like to do your work because they're doing it, and you know it's it's a it's a unique setting because most folks don't have anybody in their immediate world, other than their staff that understand what they're doing. So it's it's an awesome gift to have somebody that you can call up because you've gotten their phone number through this partnership, and and just say, hey, I'm I'm really struggling with this particular situation, or how do you all handle your after-school program or what do you do about your 501c3 status or whatever it is, you know. So it's a pretty neat setup.
2: If somebody was thinking about starting a similar type of ministry, some young family or, you know, I know Desire Street was started by a, a young family that just moved into the Desire, Desire Street neighborhood. That's if, right. if somebody was thinking about that and you met them and they said, hey, I'm going to move into – such and such neighborhood in some city, what would be your advice to someone like that?
0: Definitely, I would encourage them to seek to get connected with a local church, somebody that, you know, really could be a real support to them. Before anything, though, I would ask them what's already happening in that neighborhood, um, One of the things that I found with this strategic partnership that we're a part of and then all of the other people I get to talk to is um, lots of times um, someone from a suburban world will look at a neighborhood, see it's broken, and think we just need to go in there and do something, and they don't take the time to find out who's already working in there. Um, What we try to get people to do is say... if. If you'll take the time to look and see who's working, there may be somebody in there you could join. There may be somebody in there you could come alongside. And it may be this really neat little old lady who's been working there for 20 years and doesn't have any money, but's got crazy relationships, has, you know, a passion for God. And if you could come alongside with your resources, you could help her. And maybe you're not the executive director, and maybe you're not the top dog, but If you really want to see the kingdom come to bear in a broken place, coming alongside her could be the better option. And so those kind of conversations happen quite often. um, And quite frankly, not a lot of people like to hear that. You know, if they've got an idea, they want to do it. They just want to do it. But if people will listen, um, there is a lot of... um, really cool things that can happen when a person is willing to partner and if there isn't anyone in there, if there's no one at all, um, I, I think it's still a, a real sh- strong importance to find who you can partner with, you know, whether it's finding a church that would kind of champion you as their, their mission to that place or, um, you know, whatever group you can find to come alongside you. Maybe it's joining something like a Desire Street thing, but never going in just totally alone. Um, by God's grace, those type of ministries have happened and have lasted. But what we're seeing here now is the numbers aren't good, you know. For the for every year that a, a startup ministry happens on its own, you know, maybe one out of 200 actually last if they're on their own. So it's important that you be connected. And being connected could be through various, you know, churches or various civic groups, but having somebody that's owning you, somebody that's standing with you so that you're not just the only person there is a very important first step in my opinion. I think one of the things that we are learning with, this type of work and definitely I would first like to say I am not an expert I don't think I'm an expert and I would love to be in a place to consistently be learning that's our kind of one of our modes here at Parker Street is really trying to be reading and and listening all the time trying to continue to grow and hone our our skills and crafts here um, but I do think we've we've learned a lot about who we are as, as Christians by coming to this place. And one of the things that was interesting, as I first moved here as a white kid from a suburban world, um, initially I thought the best thing I can do for this neighborhood, which was a predominantly black neighborhood, was to kind of try to blend in, you know, almost lose my suburban white identity and just, you know, be lost in this community. And um, over the years, God has really convicted me that his design of me is not accidental. His purpose for me as a as a white male coming from a, a suburban middle-class community wasn't an accident and it's not something to be ashamed of. And it's not something to put aside. The things that I learned there, the things that shaped who I am are important. And if I come into a place and I try to die and lose all that, I'm I'm denying some of who God has made me. And so it's not that you come in and wave your white flag and you're proud like an idiot, but that we don't lose who we are. God, in his infinite wisdom, created us in his image the way he wanted us to be. And so I I do think early on, you know, had I had a genie in a bottle, I would have wished that God would have made my skin black. But now I know that that was absolutely God's design, that I was a white guy. And that in that process of me being able to delight in who God made me changed the way I approached the neighborhood in such a way that, you know, because quite frankly, the neighborhood could tell that, I wasn't happy being me, but when I started to being able to say I'm excited to be Tim Mitchell, I'm excited to be who I am, they were excited to be around me, and um, it, it just changed a lot of the ways I could interact with people, you know. And and I'm I'm not the poster child for how ministry should go, but I do believe that a lot of the people that I've talked to that are in my same situation where they came from a world. That wasn't like the world they're, world they're now in. There's a lot of shame and guilt. You know, I I would go home for Christmas and be around my family and be, you know, able to get Christmas presents and and things. And I knew my neighborhood wasn't getting that. And and the pain and the the angst of that was at times almost unbearable. And I felt so much guilt and shame that I had anything. You know, I felt guilty because I had a dad. I felt guilty because my parents were still married. I, I felt guilty because I'd never served any time in jail. You know, all these things that were happening for me. And finally, God kind of grabbed hold of me and said, look, that's not something to be ashamed of in the sense of guilt and 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 uh, pain. You know, you, you, you can... I, I ordained that for you. I, 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 I separated you from things that would allow you to go that direction. And so it's by God's hand that I didn't have the openness that my neighborhood had, but it's also by God's hand that I'm here. So it's by God's hand that he sent a healthy person into a place to help bring health. And um, so it's it's interesting. I talk to a lot of folks in my shoes, and there's so much angst and so much genuine pain that they feel because they're seeing this brokenness that they can't fix immediately. They're seeing this situation with people's lives that are really falling apart and they want it to be fixed. They want it to be changed. And God calls us to a a faithful life of submission to Him. And then our faithfulness to pursue God here, that's that's the good work. He doesn't call us to have a product that we produce. You know, I love the fact that we do have people who've become Christians, but if I couldn't give you a list of people that have become Christians, I can still be delighting in the fact that God told me to go and I did and I was faithful to the call. And that's the big thing that he wants from us here is that we would be faithful to his call and and trust that his spirit doing the work that only the Spirit can do is really what's going to bring the change. And there'll be times that we get to experience it and there'll be a lot of times that we don't. And so that, that call to being faithful to this work is, is something that regardless of your, the color of your skin and regardless of your history, if, if we will be men and women who will faithfully answer God's call to go to the broken places, our lives will be changed our relationships with Him will be enriched in a way that we can't imagine, and the people we've been called to serve will get to experience God.
2: Well, I think that's a pretty good ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thank you for taking the time to share all that wisdom. Thank you very
1: much.
0: All right. Bye. Bye.
1: As I spoke with Tim Mitchell, I was struck by his honesty and openness talked about Parker Street Ministries early struggles and how they still don't have it all figured out he talked about how Parker Street Ministries aren't merely there to fix the broken world around them but to live out the grace of God with the people around them and Tim shared how living out that grace isn't a one-way street he lives in the community and has become part of the community so he gains from them just as much as they gain from him that's what community is shared lives working together for the good of all And of course, there is no greater good for anyone than to know the gospel. So Tim Mitchell makes clear to everyone in the Parker Street neighborhood, his primary focus is that they know Christ, because it is through knowing Christ that lives are truly transformed. Please join me next time on Christlike Thinking. You can subscribe via iTunes or through feeds.feedburner.com slash Christlike Thinking. And remember, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Send email to christlikethinking at gmail.com. Life is a difficult
0: odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical, we gotta see. The importance of biblical theology. What do I mean by biblical theology?